Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Welcome back to another episode of A Whole Mood. So last week, we were talking about bullying, and I brought a longtime former classmate slash friend of mine, and we were talking through various experiences, like from middle school to high school, what it was like being an awkward preteen, and it kind of brought on the trend. I was like, oh my God, to hear this from a different perspective of like someone who was a teacher, and then also a millennial who's a teacher, and I'm like, well, Alon, do you really know a lot of teachers? Like, who... Do you have as friends that are teachers? And then I'm thinking, I'm like, of course, my friend Nakisha. You know, me and Nakisha, we don't really talk too much. Nakisha is like pretty much the perfect sister, like older sister to a lot of us. She's going to laugh and be all bashful about it. But like, she's like, if everybody can be like Nakisha, 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 she's really blossoming. And I really commend her for really going for what she wanted to do. Me and Nakisha, we went to the same high school and we were in band. We weren't in chorus together, but we did sing a lot together. This is Women's History Month. I find Nikisha's story to be so inspiring for women who chase after they want also while doing what they need to do to get where they need to go. And so, of course, oh, the talented Nakisha Williams. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on here. I'm happy to just chat with you and like catch up as well because it has been a minute since yeah. I've like seen you and talked to you. But thank you for having me on this show. Absolutely, girl. Yes, it's been a long time coming because we've been talking about recording for a minute. And I know you have your own podcast. I do. Mm-hmm. Yes, Talking Horror with Jamie and Nikisha, mm-hmm. where we just talk about horror movies and how it relates to mental health and human behavior because my co-host Jamie is a therapist. So it's a really fun time. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> All right. So let's just jump into it. I think hey. the last time I saw you, you were singing at my home church in Mobile. And I think that was the last time I even went to church. It was like four or five years ago. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah, you were singing Color Purple. And I'm like, wait a minute, I know that voice. That's Nakisha. And I'm like, wait, Nakisha goes to my church now? Because I knew ah. you went to a church like near downtown, but I didn't know mm-hmm. that your parents transitioned to literally the church I grew up in. So I was like, yeah, whoa. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's probably the closer to the last time I was at church myself. Hello. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, that was so long ago. And that's so funny that you remember that because it just seems like another lifetime ago. I mean, especially with the pandemic, everything that seems like that happened before the pandemic is just so hard to remember. But yeah, it seems like centuries. Literally, that was my last time going to that church because I haven't been home in like two years. I believe that, yeah. Anytime I go home, I only go home like one time a year and that's Christmas. So it's kind of the hardest to kind of cram in going to church all while celebrating with family and being around family after and yeah, so and just so. seeing people in general. I absolutely understand that. Yes, I'm the same way. <laughs> the last time I was home was during the pandemic. But even then, I was only home for about two months. And then I moved to New Jersey. So, you know, we were all just trying to regroup at that point anyway, and figure yeah. out 
what life was going to be employment wise, especially as an artist and what's going to happen in New York. So it was just a really wild time. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to talk about it. So firstly, yes. because we're talking about teaching and teachers, what teachers inspired you to pursue your dreams? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you you already know what the answer to this is going to be. Of One Mr. <laughs> Joel Stevens <laughs> at Murphy High School. He came in when I was a sophomore. That was when he started at the school. And at that point, like when I came in as a freshman, there was a choir program and I joined beginning choir because I wanted to sing, but it wasn't really a popping program. You know, they weren't doing a lot of stuff. And so Joel Stevens came in my sophomore year. And so then I just decided to focus on band because I thought, well, there's no choir and we have a new choir teacher. I don't know what the deal is. So whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't until our mutual friend, Rachel Baber, remember her? Yes, I remember <laughs> Rachel. She told me, yo, he's a good teacher. You should just audition for this the next school year. So I joined my junior year. That was when everything started. I mean, I did my first musical when I was a senior, A Little Shop of Horrors. And Joel Stevens really turned that program around and really had us believe in that, you know, we could do some things outside of just singing in high school, which was really great. I I mean, I commend him for really just connecting with different universities to come and meet with us. I remember USM, the University of Southern Mississippi's choral department came to Murphy High School to visit. Faulkner State University came to visit, and he brought all of us out to Faulkner to audition for the program for scholarships and stuff. And so I never would have thought that music would be a possibility, even to just get extra money for college if it wasn't for Joel Stevens. Were you pursuing music still even before the whole chorus thing? or no? Not really. You know, I grew up singing in church and that was the only kind of singing that I knew. I will say that music has always been a part of my life as far as being interested in it because yeah. I loved girl groups of the 90s. You know, I listened to Destiny's Child, TLC, SWV, all of the Spice Girls all the time. I always had an interest in music and singing, but I never thought that I could actually pursue it as a career. I started band in elementary school. So I was like playing alto saxophone and I started piano in elementary school and then I was singing in church, but I never was in a choral program, an official singing classically to, you know, choral program until I was at Murphy. So music has always been there, but I couldn't hone in on exactly what I wanted to do and how I could sing until I was in choir. Oh my God, I never realized how our stories kind of parallel because as you mm, know, mm -hmm. I didn't start chorus until like towards the end of my high school tenure as well. Yeah. And we were both in band together. Like I met right, you right. like my second year in band because you weren't there when I was a freshman, but you were definitely there when I was a sophomore. And so what made you get out of band? The only time I wasn't in band was my junior year. And then I went, came back in, in as a senior and I was in band and choir. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what made you not do band that year? I think that yeah. was my freshman year. Like you weren't in there. And then I'm like, who is yep. the Everybody keeps talking about Nikisha. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, yeah. I was I was in band ninth and tenth, and then eleventh grade was when Rachel was like, "You need to join choir." And I think 
with my schedule at that point, I could only choose one or the other. Yeah. I want to say. Like elective. Yeah. Yeah. Because I still had a whole bunch of other credits I needed to get done. But by the time I was a senior, I had some openings to where I could do both. I just said, okay, well, let me just focus on choir for my junior year and see where that is since I've already experienced band. And then, you know, see where that goes. So, yeah. Yeah. Corey was the one that introduced me to chorus in which mm, it was just mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. left field to me because I still wasn't used to my voice. Like I was mm. super monotone. I yeah. went from like kind of having like this light voice to having this very heavy bass voice. Yes. <laughs> and I couldn't adjust. And But when Corey, I guess she heard something, like we were just fucking around in like geometry class or whatever. And she was like, oh my God, <laughs> you should audition for chorus. I'm like, whoa, I don't know what that means. But it did help me exercise and actually get my voice back. Because yeah. I remember small little seasons of my life where I was singing, but mm. it was never on the capacity of like when I started with Mr. C. Because as you said, To your point, Mm. Mrs. Stevens did give us a lot of exposure and access to things that we would have never, ever thought we could do. We also went to Faulkner. Yeah, we also went to Faulkner. What would you say your experience at Faulkner, where that guided you? Yeah, you know, that was just kind of the catalyst of this is what I want to do as far as majoring in music. And I also wanted to go back and and ask you real quick. So were you singing in choir at like church choir or anything before this? I, it's so weird because I have just small little isolated moments of when I was singing. Mm -hmm. I remember being at this elementary school behind Phyllis Spencer elementary. Yeah. And we had like this black history program where we were singing That's What Friends Were For, or we were singing like the <laughs> National Negro Anthem. I have certain memories of like, I think how I controlled my voice, it was yeah. definitely different apart from people my age. So I remember the only one out of like a crowd of kids, I had the mic and I was like right in the middle. So obviously like, mm-hmm. and, and again, it's such a light memory. I never looked at myself as a singer when I was little. Then also I had like this solo in like the Christmas play at my church. Yes. But I was I was on the usher board. Like I wasn't in the chorus. I didn't do solos. I was not a singer. <laughs> like, yes. so it's, it's weird because like music was like literally in my veins since like three. That's like to mm-hmm. my memory. But singing... Yeah. I never picked it up until maybe like my junior year. Like I knew I could sing. I had the ability to sing. But once my voice changed, it was like gone. I didn't know how to pick that shit back up. Yeah, it's it's so wild, like navigating life and being like, okay, I do like singing and I get that realization of like, oh, I guess I'm singing the the right notes (laughs) and I'm singing in key and then, you know, people kind of be like, okay, well, like you take this solo. (laughs) But here's the thing that I think for me, I will say at that time, it wasn't a big deal for me because I thought it was like a thing everybody could do it. I didn't Mm. think that what I had was special. I thought that oh, it was just okay. it was just something yeah. that I knew I was good at. And that was the music part. I didn't know that it was like mm-hmm. an actual talent. I didn't look at it like that. I was a kid playing piano by ear. Like that That's was just amazing. something naturally I could do. I didn't know that that was like a thing people were impressed by. That was like something like, yeah. what? Yeah, yeah I had yeah. no clue. I had no clue. That's but I didn't amazing. have parents to really craft that 
to them, it was just as like, oh yeah, he played piano. The black family oh, is yeah, like, oh yeah, I did a little like, piano thing. Yeah, that's cool. You know what I'm saying? Correct, <laughs> correct, correct. Really, when I think of things, Joel Stevens is definitely like the main forefront for all of what I do, even like today, like if I'm singing around the mm-hmm. house. I don't give Mr. Ayers enough credit. Shout outs to Mr. Ayers. Shout outs to Mr. Ayers at Faulkner. Is yes. it still called Faulkner? No, I think it's Alabama Coastal or something like that. Yeah. Well, yes, it was Faulkner State Community College, right? When we mm-hmm. were going there. The Sun Chief Sound is what hey. we were a part of. Mm-hmm. That was a great transitional time. And I think more people should consider community college, junior colleges for just a smoother transition into whatever you're doing. Because it feels just not as pressurized as a university. It's, you know, a smaller community and you can kind of really hone in on different skills. So then that's the point where, you know, we're in music theory classes and we're really learning how to to read music and sightseeing and play music. And Mr. Ayers allowing us to have not only the regular choir that sang traditional choral songs, but also having Sun Chief Sound, which was the pop group where students are playing all of the instruments and we're singing and we're performing for all these different events. I mean, I truly had such a great time and living my best like fake Destiny's Child Beyonce yes. life in, in Sun Chief Sound because, you know, we're there with our handheld microphones singing pop songs. I remember <laughs> my year, the solo song I had was Umbrella by Rihanna and it was a fully choreographed thing too. Mm-hmm. So you have your handheld mic, you got your backup dancers, you know, you're doing the choreography, you're singing it, you got a full live band behind you, and it's teaching you how to work in that kind of atmosphere as well, which I think is really important to just so that you know how to sing in a variety of, of environments and styles of music. I think that that transitioned me more into musical theater, really listening to musical theater albums because of the people that I connected with. And I remember Wicked, the musical, was one one of the first CDs that somebody gave me to listen to as far as like a cast, a true cast album. I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. I want to know more about just musical theater and who these people are. And let me look up all these different things. So Faulkner, it was, it was a really helpful time for sure. Yeah. I will say the same thing. I think even to this day, I'm still not as comfortable with my voice in the world of tenors. People expect men to sing in the stratosphere and the women to sing low. Yep. Yeah, have a male bass singer. It's like, oh, well, what do I do with this? I don't know. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I, for sure, for sure. I, I really commend you because you really went for it. Whereas me, I kind of cowered out and took. I feel like the safe route, but really, the safe route isn't so safe either. Exactly. I was about to say, what you're doing is still like you coming out of comfort zone and growing and developing. Yeah. You know, I don't know because I don't like auditioning. I think that was the reason why I stopped. Yeah, I hate That's auditioning. Fair. And then also with my voice, yeah. like. The atmosphere always sucks my voice. People barely hear what I'm singing or saying, or mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that is a job in itself is mm-hmm. auditioning truly because you're having to get up, learn all this material, sing in front of all these people. It's something that you have to keep doing continuously before you even get a callback, putting yourself in all these different rooms and just seeing what sticks, you know, just throwing yourself out there and then seeing what happens or what doesn't. But it's, a continuous and stressful thing on top of trying to just survive in the city that you're in, whether it be in Atlanta or Chicago or LA or New York, you know, auditioning. Yeah. You still got to live and have a roof over your head and food yeah. to eat. So you're doing your survival job on top of 
trying to audition and be seen in front of all these people. It's a lot. So would you consider teaching being your survival job when you were fresh out of college? I'll say yes and no. Okay. <laughs> At first, when I got the teaching job in Memphis, I was the assistant to the actual choir directors. And I thought, okay, I'll probably just try to do this for one year and then maybe try to go to New York and audition and see what happens. The director left to get his doctorate and he left me the program. And so now I was the head of the program after that year. So I thought, oh, well, now I can't leave. <laughs> you know, yeah. he left me the program and this is a good job. And and I liked doing it. And it was in Memphis, Tennessee, which has its own theater and music scene in its own right. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like I was deprived of any of it. Like I got to do a lot of regional shows, Playhouse on the Square, shout out to them in Memphis, Tennessee. Got to work with the Memphis Opera Chorus. And so it was like plenty to do while still doing my teaching job. Then I thought, okay, well, maybe I could settle here and maybe like this can be my thing and I'm still performing and I'm building community here and this feels nice. By the time I reached the end of year three <laughs> of teaching, I just thought, no, I really have to just go after this. Because if I don't, I'm going to stay here. I don't want to say the word complacent because that seems very harsh because right. I did enjoy my job and it was very fulfilling and yeah. I got a lot out of doing it. I don't think it that is something that is secondary. I just knew that because I liked it and I was comfortable that I would stay there and not really try to go after performing in New York in some capacity. So I thought, okay, teaching is great. I can always go back to it. I have this on my resume. I have the teaching certification, you know. If it doesn't work out in New York, at least I know that I tried and then I'll just go back to teaching wherever, you know, and I'll be fine because I know that's also fulfilling for me and I like doing it, you know. Mm -hmm. So it just ended up being kind of like, okay, let's make the move. The universe opens itself up to opportunities when you just act on what you feel is necessary in your gut to do. So it was a survival job, but not a survival job. And I definitely feel like before I leave this earth, I will go back to teaching in some capacity full time. <laughs> yeah. Another question, as you pursued the beginning of your career with teaching, did some of your practices come by way of experience from your learning? Yeah, absolutely. Being able to learn the things from performing at Faulkner and, and just observing how Mr. Stevens was, then you think, okay, that's the kind of teacher that I want to be for my kids when I'm there. And in a way, as a teacher, you do have to perform for the kids because you're trying to get them riled up so that we can get whatever task done that needs to get done, right? Whether it's trying to sight read music or learn music for competition or learn music for a concert, you know, in some ways you're performing, you're acting, you are trying to make sure that everything gets done that needs to get done. Having good role models for teaching led me to think, okay, this is how I want to be as a teacher. And this is how I want to influence people. This is how I want to approach my kids. This is the kind of relationship I want to have with my students that's open and honest while also building up the currency so that they can trust me to know that the decisions that I make and the things that I want to do are going to be helpful for them. So what would you say were your best moments of teaching? Oh, gosh. The, the thing that sticks out most to me and always sticks out to me is when I was able to take over the program my second year of teaching, I knew that I wanted to start this acapella girl group. And this is in the height of 
Pitch Perfect, the sing-off competition, all of these things are coming about about her acapella singing. And of course me, like I said, I love my girl groups and all these things. So I, I was being kind of a stage mom and saying, okay, since I'm not doing this, I'm going to build it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I made this acapella group. They called themselves Key of She. It was just such a fun time because it was a group of nine to 11 girls, depending on the year, because we've you know switched over the next year. But it was a really great moment to bond with these girls who were varied in age. They were nine through 12, you know, within the small group. And for them to kind of be the underdogs and them learning about acapella while I'm learning about acapella. So we're learning it together, maneuvering together to the point where we got selected to do a bunch of different competitions as a first year group. We got to compete in the national acapella convention where they got like runner up for that. So Pitch Perfect has their like international acapella championship. And that's a real thing that happens in real life, which I didn't realize <laughs> that that was a real thing. So there's a high school version of that too. So the international champions of high school acapella, my last year teaching they went through all the rounds and got to the finals and they placed third. This group was in existence for only two years and they placed third internationally for high school. And it was just such a, a proud moment to see that these girls could build something and know that them working hard, them working together really could lead to some great things happening. And it was just such a, a fun time to just be building with those girls and seeing their confidence grow so much. Because there were some girls who were just kind of like the quiet mouses in the back. Yeah. But when they opened up their mouth, it's like, oh my God, everybody needs to hear you sing. And so just being kind of that extra push to say, no, you can do this. And now you're singing solos in front of all these people in New York City where this competition is. Like It was some of the best kind of moments just to see them grow and develop. It was great. Oh, wow. It's so great that you're able to actually see the fruits of your labor, especially being able to pay it forward because... I feel like as you say that, I also see your experience like as you were growing through. I don't remember when you were in chorus, but like the way your voice grew, because I remember actually being in chorus and then you come in as a visitor and I'm like, whoa, like, mm. you know, so <laughs> tangibly really experiencing the fruits of your labor like that's major yeah you're totally right that connection of someone believing in me enough to say you have something develop it as much as you can let's see how far we can go and then in turn me being able to do the same for those kids and say guys you got something let's see where we can take this let's put you in front of as many people as we can to your point too not all of them continued in music some did and some didn't but i know what that group did for them just as far yeah. as them developing as humans being able to be in a safe space to be themselves you know and mm -hmm. to learn all that they can and to grow like it's something that i took away so much of it just watching them kind of grow and figure themselves out too in that moment so i know yeah. that they took so much from that too so what would you say your challenging moments when it came to teaching oh yeah absolutely so the first thing that popped in <laughs> to my brain <laughs> well two things one, it's the first year kind of teacher shock. When I was the assistant choir director, that meant I also had to teach music appreciation, which meant that I was working with kids that were not necessarily in choir or in music. 
they just needed a credit because they weren't going to be in band and they weren't going to be in court, you know, so you have to kind of reach down deep to get the attention of, of some of those kids, you know, because it's easy when it's kids who sign up for choir because they want to do it. And then you're just like, sing this. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, it was definitely hard to figure out lesson plans that could be universal, be interesting for all people without just kind of going through, okay, this is the classical period. This is the Baroque period. This is Gregorian chant, you know, like all the kind of boring, like music appreciation theater stuff that we really don't (laughs) like to discuss or or talk about. Honestly, you know, I was what, 23 when I started teaching. And so, you know, you have like 18 year olds and they're not far away from you in age. Mm-hmm. And so it was hard to get the disciplinary action too, because I was getting mistaken for a student nine times out of yeah. 10 every day I walked into class <laughs> and I would have to just wear my badge and show it all the time so that people would know that like I, I am the teacher, you know, yes. once I kind of got my footing of what are some things that we can all discuss, what are some current music things that we could talk about that everyone can kind of contribute to while still learning something new that they might not have known before they took a class. The second thing I would say is dealing with parents, especially when you are teaching a performance type of class because everyone wants their child to be in the forefront. Oh, When their child doesn't get a solo and they're crying to their parents, which I totally get and I totally sympathize and I understand, I empathize with that. There's so many kids and there's only this one or two solo or whatever. You know, you get the parents that would just kind of be like, well, why did my kid get into the advanced choir? Why are they still in this choir? You know, they really want to be in in this and they love it so much. Like, why didn't they blah, 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 blah. And then parents just questioning how you teach in general. Why are you doing this concert on this day? Why are you doing it at this building? Again, being so young as a teacher, and I taught between the ages of 23 and 24, you have parents who are the same age as my parents and and they're looking at me like what are you doing and why did this guy leave this program to you you know blah 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 blah. and so that was really hard to just kind of flip the script and say I don't come to your job and tell you how to do these things here are the things you can do that would actually be helpful to me but you just criticizing what I'm doing like we're not getting anywhere so what's the point why are we even having this these conversations you know that was something that I just kind of had to let it roll off my back because at the end of the day they are not signing my checks and it was a moment to just realize like I'm here for a reason I got this job for a reason they want to keep me here and they want to keep me happy because these kids are happy and they're doing well. I, I definitely had a lot of backing from some administration and some other teachers Amazing. when parents would kind of try to get in the way. But yeah, dealing with parents is very hard on a multitude of levels, which I don't have kids. And so I don't know what that life is like having a child <laughs> and defending, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. fighting for your kid and wanting them to have all they want to have. Like I get it. Also, at the end of the day, it's like these teachers are trained to do what's best for your kids let them do their jobs and it's so interesting especially when i think about our experience being in chorus us as students i feel like we handled that very independently like i feel like there were Mm -hmm. not a lot of matters when it came to any of our reviews or productions like parents never really got in the way it wasn't like a lot of ego trips when it came to parents people who sung parents came and they enjoyed it nonetheless if they daughter had it solo or not like 
or not. That just yep. wasn't our experience being in chorus mm-hmm. and singing amongst each other. That would be weird for me to have to. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say the school that I taught at, it had a variety of kids as far as diversity and like economic class they had something similar to like what we had an ib program Mm -hmm. at murphy a lot of the top kids who like went to yale and went to harvard and stuff were at the school taking those kinds of classes but it's also still a public school so you just have people who are in the district at the school so a lot of the times it was kind of just those parents were trying to give their child everything you know it's the privileged one Yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say like that, but that, well, yes, allow yes, me to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will say it. Okay, so yes. from that teaching, I do know because, of course, like even though I wasn't like a absolute pillar in your life, I was always like someone who was always there in just small little yes. eras of moments, like. We went to New York maybe two years before I graduated from college. Both of us experienced in New York in that same time. And we was kind of like, we got to move here. We got to move. Like, we were serious about it. Absolutely. Yes. We were really serious. (laughs) Oh, my God. We saw Color Purple together. We at first moved there together. Like, we both saw Jennifer Hudson and Cynthia Erivo, Color Purple. Me and oh you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, these How things kind of like leave. That? Yeah, it kind of left me like I know I've seen it, but I'm just now realizing like me and you went to go see Color yes. Purple on Broadway. The, the, truly, the only thing I remember about Color Purple was just crying the whole yes. time. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was so good. Oh my gosh. I guess I didn't also, I didn't realize that you moved right after you graduated. Are you still in Jersey City? No, I moved oh, okay. to LA. <laughs> When did you move to LA? So I moved to LA 2021. Okay, 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 okay. I had ended up getting a job, but I had to move to LA to start the job. And I did not oh want to leave. Gosh. I did not want to leave. As oh, y'all can yeah. imagine, like, mm-hmm. it made us. It turned us into yes. the adults that we are. We really worked hard to attain our lifestyle there. Like, I grew so mm-hmm. much there, and I take pride in that. And although I'm enjoying do, LA, but it's different. Yeah, and I was gonna ask, like, how do you feel about LA in comparison? It's just not the same. I am blessed to say that because it took a while for me to gain my sense of community in New York. It took me about five or six years. My community kind of stuck the minute that I had to leave, which was so weird. Oh, um, man. Yeah, and so in LA, I had to start over, but. I will have to say I did gain a sense of community just in a year of me being here. So that's great. Oh, great. Yeah. It doesn't feel like home, whereas New York did. I don't know. It's yeah. weird. It's weird. Well, hopefully you'll find your way back over, hopefully. over here. I'm, and... I'm in a space where it's like, I'm not going to force it. Obviously, I'm supposed to be here because even how that shit happened, it was like some magical shit going on. But I believe that there's some reason I'm supposed to be here and I'll get to New York when I get to New York. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But back to you. So (laughs) what made you move to NYC from teaching in Memphis? The more that I got into Broadway musicals and truly after our trips to New York, I think I took two of those trips with Joel Stevens. Like you said, the minute we got there, we were like, oh my God, how do we find a way to live here? Like, this feels like home. This feels like where where we want to be. Broadway is nowhere else. 
New York is where you have to be. So it was kind of a no brainer of if I wanted to do musical theater and really go after it, that I was going to have to go to New York and audition so I could try and, and do it there. So Yeah. So how did you adjust to moving in NYC? Because I know y'all moved a lot in the beginning of the years. Y'all were in Brooklyn, yes. then y'all were in another place in Brooklyn, and then you moved yeah. on your own, and then you were in Harlem. Like, it was a lot. Oh, my God. It was a lot. It's a whole cultural difference, too, from being in the South, being able to just do something as simple as get into your car, drive to the grocery store, put the groceries in your car, and go home. And now you're in New York. Where is the big grocery store? I can't just shop out of this bodega on the corner. (laughs) That's not going to give me everything that I need. (laughs) I mean, it can. It can. Yes. But if I want some extra fruits and vegetables, where am I going to go? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, there's no Walmart. Like, what's happening? That was just the adjustment of living. And I will never get used to the cost of living. Every time I just think about how much I pay for rent and how much I have paid for rent in the past when I was living in the South, it just makes my heart hurt. (laughs) So because I wanted to do musicals, like every time I would just go and see a musical, I would think, this is why I'm here. Okay, this is why I'm here. And it just kind of puts you back in that reminder of when we first moved, I moved with Paul and we had a random third roommate. We were in Bed-Stuy and we were there for the year. But then I ended up getting a job at Disney for a couple of months. And so I did that, got my actor's equity card, came back to New York. That lease ended. And then I moved to Harlem with Anastasia. By the time I had moved, I had booked the Color Purple tour. So then I was gone for the whole year. And then I booked Hamilton. And so I had to leave again. And so I had to just move out of that Harlem place because I wasn't going to be there because of tour and stuff. And so then I didn't have a place until the pandemic. I moved all my stuff into storage in the middle of being on Hamilton. The pandemic happened and I was in Alabama and thought I cannot stay in Alabama. Absolutely not. (laughs) For however long this thing is going to be, because apparently it's going to be longer than what we thought. I got to find a place immediately. Funny enough, there were some places in Jersey. And so I just moved all my stuff and I could have my car drive to the grocery store and drive back home, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so I think now I like Jersey because it's the best of both worlds. If I'm still close enough to get into the city, but I don't have to deal with all that. Truly, I tell everybody about Jersey now (laughs) because it's cheaper and the space is bigger. You can have your car if you want to. I am now a Jersey girl. (laughs) I don't think I could ever move back into NYC proper because Jersey is it for me like so when it came to you exploring in your dream because i feel like although you were your home base was nyc you were gone like for the majority of your new york stay so what was that experience like when it came to just always being gone but your home Mm -hmm. being new york it was hard you know when i got color purple it was just the excitement of having a professional job in a show that I really love, that we love and, and enjoy. Being on the road wasn't that wild of an idea. And I knew that the tour was only going to be for a year, right? So I'm just thinking, okay, I collect this money for a year, go back to New York and then keep auditioning and try to get something in the city, you know? But then the second time around when I got Hamilton, it was like, yay, okay, I'm doing Hamilton, but now I'm going to be away from home longer. And now you're thinking about, oh, well, I really enjoyed being around my stuff 
and my things and sleeping in my own bed, just having all of my perfectly curated space available to me, right? But now I'm living out of hotels or Airbnbs with half of my clothes and trying to make sure I can travel as much as I can. We're flying all these different places or I'm driving my car these different places because I ended up taking my car on the road. It was very difficult because you feel like you kind of don't have a home. <laughs> You're nomadic. When I gave up my apartment in Harlem, it really was like, if I have to go to an audition, I got to like go to a hotel. If I got to go back to New York for something, like I got to ask if I can stay with somebody or, you know, and I don't like that. My independent brain, my only child brain is like, you need all the things for yourself. Don't ask nobody for anything. Mm -hmm. It was a very difficult time, which led me to want to get off of the road sooner, even though I was getting paid money. There's no substitution for stability for mm -hmm. me. Being in your own home, doing your own things, that was what I need for my mental health. But then the pandemic happened. <laughs> and then it's like, well, nobody's going to work. So what you going to do? What's going to happen? <laughs> so yeah. then it was like, okay, well, now I have the time to build a home. If I get this apartment in Jersey, I can make this my home. I can make this the place that I can just have available to me going back and forth. If I have to go back on tour, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, but it's hard, man. It's, it's hard. Going on tour. What was that like? Cause it sounds so not ordinary <laughs> for you to coordinate your own travel and stay in between each city that you were touring in. How do you drive yeah. on your own to go from city to city? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So with Color Purple, we were doing one-weekers, and so every Monday was our day off, mm -hmm. and that was the day to travel to the next city, right? Oof. And so because it was one-weekers, and we traveled every Monday, which was our off day, we would fly wherever we needed to go. Unless it Got was it. close proximity, then we would bus, you know? And we have company managers that coordinate all of that stuff, and we have company managers that coordinate our hotel stay, so they're already booking our hotels in advance for the cities that we're going to, right? Mm -hmm. So then with Hamilton, we have a little bit longer sits, right? Sometimes we're in a place for a month, two months. They always provide flight options for people, but you can choose to not take it, pocket what they would have spent for that flight and have your own car and drive to where you need to go. Like if you had a car, like they wouldn't give you a rental car. Like if you had your own car, you could just drive city to city. And they give you a schedule of everywhere you're going to go and how long you're going to stay in those places. And they do the same thing with company housing too. You get paid a per diem every week and that pays for your food and your hotel. And the company management will say, okay, we're going to Chicago for two months. Here are two different hotels that you can choose to stay at. Let us know which one you want to stay at. Or if you don't want to stay at any of these, let us know that you're booking your own. So then you use that per diem either to pay for the hotels from the company manager or if you want to get your own Airbnb. I'll just like look on and see if there's an Airbnb that's cheap, that's close to the theater, that has a parking spot for my car. And I just book that on my own, but I use my per diem that I get every week from mm -hmm. the company to do that. Got it. So that's what I do now. It's just you drive to the next city or whatever. And back then, the drives wouldn't be so long to where you couldn't do a drive on a Monday and still be able to get to the show on Tuesday night, right? Mm. Now it's getting a little sketch because <laughs> yeah. sometimes we have like 
nine, 10, 11 hour drives because they placed, you know, but some people like to drive the tour and I like to drive because I can carry more stuff. I can have more of my things available to me as opposed to just only being able to have like two bags and a carry on for a flight, you know? So that's why mm-hmm. people like to drive the, for the people who don't have cars or don't drive. Like there's always a flight option, but you just can't carry as as much stuff. It's, it's a wild time, but you can book an Airbnb if you so choose, or you can stay in the company housing options that they provide for you. Understood. Mm-hmm. I know for Color Purple and Hamilton, you were, and this is also something that I just commended you on, you were always like a floater between the main characters. So yeah, yeah it didn't yeah. <laughs> matter like who you were the next day. Like you could be somebody's totally different and had to learn new songs and always have yeah. those in your back pocket at all times. Mm-hmm. So what was that like when it came to learning, keeping that in your memory bank the entire yeah. time of your tour? No, that's a great question because you know, that's the kind of stuff that they don't really teach you. in school that I (laughs) feel like needs to be more of a top priority because we're teaching our kids, oh, you want to go for the lead. You know, you want to go for the role. But there are so many other job opportunities, being an understudy, being a swing, being a standby. All those are people who are covering more than one role. So in Color Purple, I was a swing. That meant I was off stage and I understudied seven roles in the Color Purple. Seven of the nine female characters in Color Purple I had to know and perform. So when you're learning the whole show, you kind of pick one that you want to start learning when when you're learning the whole show together as a company. Shout out to all of my swing brothers and sisters on the color purple because we really helped each other out i got the idea from my other swing brothers and sisters to have a notebook for each character that lists all of your blocking where you're going all the props that you're picking up all of the costume pieces that you have to change in and out of that can be your reference for when you are on stage and you have a moment that you're off stage you can kind of reference your book and say okay i gotta go here next and i gotta move this and this and this all right put the book down go on stage do the thing and then go backstage okay i gotta do this, this. until you did it enough to where it was just in your memory and it's the same thing with the tracks you do it enough time and you're like okay i know when i'm doing this track i have to go here 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 i gotta speak to this person i gotta pick up this prop and blah 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 so the same rules applied when I went into Hamilton, except this time I had my own ensemble track that I did every night. And then I was still responsible for understudying all three of the Schuyler sisters. Same rules apply. I had a book for each of them that had all of the costume changes, all the props and things that I picked up, every spot I was supposed to be at, what the choreo was. I had videos of myself doing the choreo, you know, as references. And then with that, I did those enough times to where I really didn't have to reference my book as much. And the good thing about being in the ensemble and having my own track, I could watch the sisters all the time, like do their tracking, do their show. And so it was always fresh in my mind because I was always seeing it, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was with them on the stage. It's a hard job, especially now with everything that happened with COVID and all those people were dropping like flies because of of COVID and shows were being kept up only because of the understudies and the swings. Like they're now getting the recognition that they deserve, but it is hard. There are dancer swings that understudy 10, 11, 12 tracks in a show. And it's like, you got to do all this choreography, but on the right side. And then you got to know all this choreography on the left side. You got to know it downstage. You got to know it upstage, you know? It's very hard, but it's very rewarding because you are kind of the ones that come in and save the day if a lot of people are out. Wow. Yeah, it's... (laughs) (laughs) okay coming towards the end to reflection questions so let's just move on so Mm -hmm. first question you know a lot of people say 
if you're not a doer, then you're a teacher. So, Nikisha, what would you mm. consider yourself as? Are you more of a doer or a teacher? Oh, that's such a great question. But, you know, I feel like you can't have one without the other. To me, sometimes it feels like when people say those who can't do teach is kind of putting a downer on mm. someone being a teacher. Mm-hmm. But teachers be the GOAT, you know? Yeah. They are the ones that have to put themselves out there and do all the work for the things to get done. And there's so many behind the scenes things that we don't see that teachers have to do in order to make sure that their classes stay afloat, to make sure that the curriculum is being taught, you know, to make sure that they're hitting all of the STEM bullet points that need for the district, you know. I think I would consider myself both. And I think that if you are a doer, you need to be teachable. I think that if you are a teacher, you have to be doing the things. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it needs to be one in the same. Like you need to be able to be both. So I think I would definitely consider myself a teacher and a doer. Okay. I definitely consider myself a doer. I'm not a teacher. I can't. I don't have it. Okay. Hey, yeah. And you have to know thyself and be true. Absolutely. I, because again, <laughs> I feel like it does come from me underplaying my abilities to the point where I have this thing where it's like, I can't teach you what innately comes from me. Like, it's so hard for me to do that. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Yeah, And it's so funny because I talked to my partner and he's like, how do people harmonize? I'm like, it's either you can do it or you can't. Some people got it in your voice. (laughs) Like, I don't think you can teach people how to, I don't know. Because I think when I reference, so you remember making the band, it was, they were singing Michael Jackson, who's loving you. And they was out on the street and they was harmonizing and like, (gasps) Some of them yes. girls could not harmonize. They couldn't. They couldn't keep it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he did. He couldn't teach them because he didn't know how to yeah. sing nor teach. So Oops. that was literally like an example I used. I was like, you know, some people have it where it's like, you know, I came in chorus my junior, senior year, but I was able to be a part of an acapella group because I had an innate knowledge on what harmony was and I was able to yes. hold my own. So I'm definitely a doer. I feel that it is the kind of know yourself type thing. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like if you were in a pinch, you could teach some things. Oh, okay. Oh, maybe that's just me <laughs> doubting. And and literally, I think how I look at it is more like a reverse thing on what you said initially, where you were saying people who mm. can't do teach. I believe teaching is the superpower. Like to be able to yeah. communicate and actually teach somebody who didn't know something before and then they come out kind of better than you because that's what teachers do. They teach people to be more skilled than them. A teacher that comes to mind, obviously like a Joel Stevens. He was not Mm -hmm. the type of personality to be on Broadway. He was not the personality to be dancing, but he taught us all them show choir things. He taught us all those dances, all that choreography. He He did that. He did, yeah. And that is something I have a credit to him. Number two, how do you balance being a student and a professional? Yeah, well, I will say if you are a doer, you need to be able to be teachable because there will always be a moment where you're not going to know something and you're going to have to seek help and guidance. 
no matter how much you say you can handle it or you want to try to do it on your own, there will always be a point that you will reach where you're going to have to reach out to somebody else for help. Mm -hmm. So I think the sooner that you kind of knock yourself off the pedestal of doing everything on your own and knowing that it's okay to ask for help, then you can be more teachable. What I try to do, I mean, I still take voice lessons. I still take dance classes. I still take acting lessons because there's always something that I can be learning. And even if it's something that I already know, I can still be in practice with it, like sharpening, making sure that those skills are still sharp. I feel like we will never reach a moment where we know everything. That is really how I stay being able to be teachable. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That is mm. literally a gem. And you just dropped that thing. I don't know. Uh, being teachable <laughs> was definitely the correct balance when it comes to being a professional. And I think a lot of times I feel like you can attest to this as well. Singers have the biggest egos. Like People who can yes. sing for some reason. I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. Actors, I don't feel like they're as much. Like they're literally blank canvases in the personal perspective. And I think this is something that I just battle within myself where it's like, I never want to be that. To me, I see a monster and I never yes. want to become that. And I see it so yeah. much externally to where it's like, I'm always checking myself internally when it comes to my talent. For sure. And I think it it's comes a self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's poison because it's like, you become so accustomed and used to a certain level of praise you get by others. And so when you don't mm -hmm. get it, then it's like, now you're like fishing for it, right? And then yes. that's when that ego feed yes. comes. So I'm always cognizant of that. And I think what you said was definitely like a better way in saying it where it comes to like just being teachable at all times. That's If anything, life will be your teacher oh in the moment God. that you crack on stage, <laughs> you know? The moment that that riff doesn't go how you wanted it to go. Yeah. The moment that you get sick before a gig and you can't produce the sound that you want, that shit will knock you down a couple yeah. of steps to mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, okay. The ego will flare up, but best believe the universe will bring you back down real quick. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Number mm -hmm. three, do you feel singing can be taught? Oh, that's such a great question. Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. <laughs> I feel like everyone has room for improvement. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say a general, yes, you can do this, 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 and this, and everybody will be able to sing. Singing is a talent that you have some foundation built in by birth that you can hear a pitch and sing a pitch. There mm -hmm. are people who come out the wound who will hear a pitch and can't sing the pitch, right? Yeah. yeah. But we can work towards finding that pitch that can be that progress for that person that doesn't mean that they'll be able to now like sing the national anthem flawlessly without changing keys every two seconds but there's little progress that can be had so that a person who started with help and with guidance and with teaching can be a little bit better off than they were before so i think there's mm -hmm. always just room for somebody to improve with their singing but not everybody is going to be singing at the capacity of a professional level. And that's just reality. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You always have such a professional way of saying things. Ah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, <I'm> a teacher. <laughs> I see. I think where I come from in this, I believe if you can speak, you can sing. 
because everybody has the ability to speak if they if they can. You know, some people they can't, right? Yes. But I believe if something comes out of your mouth, you have the ability to sing. I think the difference is this right here on the side of your face, mm, right? That's These fair. two yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And mm-hmm. I think the ears are the difference between who is deemed not being able to sing and who can sing. I think people pay mm. close attention to pitch. People pay close attention to keys. People pay close attention to, it's kind of like emotional awareness. Vocal awareness is really important. Oh, yeah. I'm, yes, I struggle sure. with vocal awareness all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like my vocality, in my opinion, it's limiting mm. because I feel that, I feel like once you go so low, nobody cares anymore. Really? There's a certain scale of low notes you could take that's impressive. But then once you go lower than that, it's like, okay, yeah, we don't care about that. Like, we want to hear somebody, Whitney, hold a note. We want to hear somebody, like, in the rafters. Flow singers, I feel like, don't get the recognition that they should, in my opinion. I agree. A A lot of times in the entertainment industry, people say, oh, basses are rare. But when I go into the audition, it's like, I get the callbacks because my voice is rare, but it doesn't go as far as a baritone, whereas a baritone is more flexible in their range or use a falsetto or use their chest voice. You know, people don't Mm. know what that is. So I think Mm -hmm. it's more so being really strict with that ear and understanding where you come in on that. I agree with that. I mean, show more love for the bass because it is rare and... I think that in a pop single person performing world, it's not appreciated. It seems like it's more appreciated in group settings where you are in a a a choir setting or, yeah, yes, in a doo-wop, bop, bop, you know, like (laughs) that's when they're like, yes, we need the bass. We need that low foundational to uplift the rest of the harmonies and the sounds and whatever's, but yeah, it's definitely as far as solo singing and, and even in musicals too, not a lot of bass or baritone roles yeah. that are being put kind of in the forefront because everybody wants someone to just sing high. The audition got really monotonous for me because I felt like I didn't really have much in my book. I felt like I was getting so tired of Old Man River, Big Jim, Worlds Apart. Like that was literally only yes, two. Yes, 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 yes. Like, it was so hard to find things within my scope of, like, and so I was just like, I can't do this. Like, I can't live my life yeah. like this. It's so, It was really, really hard for me. I love yeah. music, and I wish I did have a life in music, but that will always be, like, a looming insecurity for me because I feel like I'm so limited when it comes to people's desirability when it comes to my voice. Well, I mean, if you ever so choose... To get back into the auditioning world. I mean, now they have what the role in Hades Town, the musical. Hades is a bass. I mean, a true bass. All that he does is just sing low. That'd be a good role to add to your <laughs> book or your karaoke if you want to sing karaoke, you know, like this <laughs> Hades Town playing Hades is hot right now as far as like on Broadway and stuff. So, Mm. but again, that's one show out of a million that are out right now that I can think of that have a true base role that is a principal character, which Mm -hmm. is really sad, but. Number four, how do you navigate through life using your practices from teaching? That's such, such a great question. It always just goes back to being able to be teachable and being able to 
learn and adjust, especially on the fly, I think is really what teaching has taught me because you can be in a lesson plan or be in a choir rehearsal that's kind of going south and you need to pick it back up or get it back on track and you have to do it in real time and you don't have time to really plan out, oh, what am I going to do, blah, 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 blah. Or if there's interruptions that happen during your class, you know, or if a teacher comes in and they want to observe, like you have to really kind of be on your toes and be able to be flexible that especially with musical theater world and how reckless and unstable it is of like getting a job or auditioning or doing a callback or having to fly out to do whatever, you know, that you have to be flexible, be confident enough to just know that you have a good set of skills that'll be able to get you through whatever is going to come your way. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think another thing Mm -hmm. that especially being in manager roles for me when it came to either training or teaching others allowing someone to learn at their own capacity so teaching them Mm. the foundational things but don't hover or micromanage them in a way to teach them all your nuances on what helps you deal with your situation and your process is going to be far different from somebody else's and Mm -hmm. you can't be an absolute pillar for someone to translate how to do certain things everybody is different so yeah Absolutely. So that's definitely something that I use in navigating life when it comes to people respond, people listen, people comprehend differently and giving them the floor to really go through that process on whatever that is. Yeah, for them. that's great. I agree a thousand percent. That is a gem drop. <laughs> Let people learn at their own capacity, please. Yes. Uh, all right. Number five, with music being at the forefront of your career, what did you enjoy most between band or chorus? Oh, gosh. I'd have to say chorus. Yeah, me too. I had the most fun. Band, it's just its own monster. (laughs) (laughs) In what way? (laughs) Because you know what? The only thing thing that I can think about is marching band and those fucking summer camps and being out in the heat. And, and literally turning five shades darker. Oh, yes, my God. Every time. Yes. It, it's just, we're all just smelly, pubescent yes. teenagers just like running around trying to, and that was not fun, which is why I immediately said, I will not do this in college. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I Yo, will not be a part of this. Mm-mm. We were out in the southern sun for at least eight hours a day. Like, it was at from the least. beginning of the morning, maybe like eight o'clock that morning until mm-hmm. maybe seven or eight o'clock that night. We saw the bats yes. coming out that pillar in, in Murphy. The bats were literally flying and hovering over us. Like, that's how long we were out there. Yes. You are not wrong. That is how long... We were out there and just getting yelled at and doing yep. drills and push-ups. Yes. If we did the wrong thing. Yeah. That was just, it was not a fun time. And it just felt really like a boot camp. It really was. Plus music. Yeah. And choir was just so much more of a chill experience than band. I mean, yeah. I thank band for the ability to read music and to play an instrument. but. Yeah. Other than that, like, it's for the birds. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if you remember, Brittany, but Brittany mentioned, because we were both at the same middle school playing in band, and she was like, mm. well, she was hopeful that that experience that she had in middle school would translate over to high school, in which her and I had the same experience in saying, like, our freshman year was fun. 
but I think it mm-hmm. stopped being fun our sophomore year because I think when your class graduated, I will have to say, at least for me, I was more friends with the seniors and juniors. I wasn't really mm-hmm. friends with people within my class. And I will yeah. say chorus is more of a catalyst for me to get to know people within my class and younger as opposed to band. Because yeah. band was just not that atmosphere for you to like really mingle. It's if, if you didn't know these people, you just didn't know. Right. Them. And I think yeah. that's too, because band was so big as well. Yeah. Like you really just fucked around with the people that were in your section in band, yeah. right? Yeah. It wasn't a matter of like really getting to know everybody, but in course it was a smaller group. You had different grades. You're all in the same choir class. The bass section could be composed of 19, 11, 12 graders, you know, mm-hmm. so you can get to know a more of a variety of people in that setting than like in band. And we felt like family because even you yeah. who graduated like maybe two or three years before people that were in band, like people still knew you. And every time when you would come around, you might not have been at Murphy and knew this person, but as soon as they went to UM, like you knew them, you know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. we were more so like a really tight knit family. Last question. If you can thank a teacher now, who would you thank and explain why? Too many teachers to thank. I think I'm going to kind of go off of the rails a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I want to thank all of the voice professors in college that failed me in my vocal juries that I had to do. You know, for vocal performance majors, you if you want to continue on, at least in my program, as a voice major past your sophomore year, you had to sing a mini concert in front of all of the voice faculty, and they would either all approve you and you could continue on as a voice major, or they would fail you and you would have to change to either education or like a general music degree. I had to take that test three times. I had to sing in front of that faculty three different Mm. times Mm. before I got passed. And even then it was like a three to five vote. (laughs) So it was like one extra vote that got me to pass, Mm -hmm. to continue to be. So I think without that experience, it wouldn't have helped me develop tough skin for the industry that is musical theater and the rejection that comes with the industry in general. That was kind of my taste of it. And I survived it and kept going. And so I just want to thank those two professors who didn't want to pass me because <laughs> mm. I would not have been where I am today without them. So, mm. yeah. Well, if I would thank a teacher, I would definitely thank you, Nakisha. And I'll be honest, Mm-mm. no, for real, because like what I said in the beginning, Nakisha was always the example, especially when we were in that course, what we wanted to achieve. And then also as far as like trailblazing away, because I think you mm-hmm. were the first person when it came to navigating, like if we wanted to pursue this vocal thing or this vocal journey, like this is somebody who did it very late in her high school tenure. And was able mm-hmm. to, you know, really go through it, right? I went to Faulkner after Nakisha. When I was a senior, I was a part of this acapella group. Nakisha was featured on our whole CD. And we would <laughs> tour together and sing together all the time. Nakisha would bring us to her church. We would sing at her church. 
and even with you're doing what you're doing now, like I can't help but commend what you're doing because it shows the resilience and it shows the tenacity that you have to, again, do what you have to do to get where you need to go. It's Thank always you. like a thing where it's like, well, I can always go back because that ability will never be taken away from me. So if I ever wanted to do something on the side, I definitely have the, you know, willpower to do that. So you do, and the you. instrument and the talent to do it, Alon. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. It's going to take yes. a lot of spiritual healing when it comes to There's so much trauma when it comes to my talents. I don't know. That's fair. That's yeah. absolutely fair and valid. Yeah. Yeah. But now, and secondly, thank you for showing up today and thank you for telling your story. I really do appreciate it. Thank this. you for having me. I'm so excited to just chat with you. All these memories are coming up. It's just, uh, thank yeah. you so much for having me. Yeah, this it's like wonderful. little spouts of things and it's like you don't realize it until you speak with the person. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I love yes. it. <laughs> so, this is your time to shine. Would you like to promote anything? Well, you did mention the podcast. If yes. people are into horror movies, we talk about horror horror movies and human behavior and why people make the dumb decisions that they make in <laughs> horror movies, you know, and the traumas that are attached to people who are in the horror movies and things. And it's really fun conversations. And we do old movies, but we do new releases as well. It's called Talking Horror with Jamie and Nikisha. And you can find it anywhere you get your podcast, Apple Music, Spotify, wherever. And we're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at Talk Horror Pod. All right. And you can also follow my podcast on Instagram at a whole mood podcast. And you can listen to my podcast anywhere you get your favorite podcast. I'm Alon. That's Nakisha, a whole mood. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter.